0: Good morning. I still have yet to master putting on my mask and my earpiece. It seems to still get tangled up. Maybe, maybe 2021 I'll learn. Maybe I'll learn then. Uh, good morning, and it is a beautiful Lord's Day out. Amen. The title of the sermon is "Time Is Ticking Away." Time is ticking away. This is the last sermon of 2020. This is the end, the final portion of our year before, in a few short days, the calendars will turn, the clocks will flip over, and it will read 2021. What an interesting year it's been, isn't it? Challenging, It feels all at once like it's taken forever, and at the same time like it's just been in a vacuum, like we went from December 2019 to December 2020. It has flown by. One of my courses of study while I was on sabbatical was church history, and you'll hear more about that, specifically early church history from the book of Acts to pre-Reformation. And one of the things that happened with that is is I, I saw time pass very quickly as you read through the centuries and the ages it's a long time from the time of the ascension to christ to pre-reformation 1500s it's a lot of world history and time it's as if it flew by in front of me and i felt so small and at the same time i had this desire i felt so small and yet i wanted to make my little speck of a life count on the history of the church whatever role I have, whatever small little space we occupy in God's plan, and I'm sure you have the same desire, is to make your life count. To spend it well and to see Jesus and hear his words, well done, good and faithful servant. It's frustrating when we waste time and we see that, isn't it? Just this week, uh, last week, rather, uh, we drove to Maui High, as we have been doing, to collect the school lunch with my children, and, and it didn't dawn on me that uh, Christmas break was in effect, and, and so we, we drove up there, and there were no cars, there were no food, there was nothing out there, and it, was, and it hit me, oh, school's out, <laughs> that's right, there's, there's no lunches today. And the children were eagerly excited to get their lunch and that hope was dashed. And one of my children remarked in the car, they said, we kind of came out here for nothing. <laughs> and, and so we had a good teachable moment on what happens when our desires are disappointed. But uh, thankfully, it's a short drive, but, but they sensed that little, little seed of disappointment. We came out here for nothing. Now, that's comical when it's maybe a 10-minute a ordeal or endeavor, but when you come to the end of your life to find that you have wasted all of it's no laughing matter. In fact, I've been with more than a few men and women who are well advanced in years, and as they realize how much time they've wasted for the Lord, it elicits deep sorrow and many tears. And KBC, what I want for all of us is to to spur us on briefly this morning to kind of just encourage you to to spend your time well. It is the only non-renewable, truly non-renewable resource you have by God. And I want to just urge you, beckon you to to grow in your use of it, to not waste it, to not let it slip by, to, to make every second count. And now that I have children... It's like having an hourglass, I can just see it going through, and you try and grasp that time, and it feels like it's grasping, like trying to hold water in your hand. Most of it's just going to run out, you'll get a little puddle, but that's all you retain. And so I want to encourage you, and by the Spirit of God, maybe He will work and bless such that you will be full of zeal as you enter 2021 to live for His purposes, a new that's what that's what i hope comes out of this and so let's pray and we will get at it father in heaven you are the rock of ages from everlasting to everlasting you are god there is no shadow of change you don't turn you don't change you are the same yesterday and today and forever and therefore we are not consumed and so we pray that we can count on your holy character your faithfulness your steadfast love to forgive sinners to change us in increasing measure day by day to make us more like christ and to bring us to yourself And so I pray, would you nourish us on your word this morning? Help us to flee fleeting pleasures of sin and to embrace eternal treasures in heaven with you. I do pray for Kailua Baptist and Pastor Todd Morikawa and the elders and deacons at that church on Oahu. Would you make them a bright light in that town? And on that island, would you use them mightily in the steadfast, faithful preaching of your word to create a a people of believers that spreads to all islands? Would you sustain them in their labors and sustain us likewise? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All of us have favorite times, don't we? We all have favorite times of the day. Breakfast time, maybe. Lunch time, dinner time, snack time. My favorite, second dinner time. Bedtime. We have favorite seasons. Some of us prefer winter, spring, summer, fall. We have different things that happen at different seasons. You have football season and basketball season and baseball season and all kinds of seasons. All of these have to do with time and our existence in it. Some of the greatest stories or movies that we like to give our attention to employ time as a major theme. I think of Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. It actually, the opening scene, uh, scene begins with Alice on the banks with her sister, and she's reading a book, and all of a sudden, a white rabbit with pink eyes, it says, jumps in front of her and scurries about. She doesn't think much of it at the time, but what catches her attention as she reflects on that moment is this rabbit had a waistcoat on, and he looked in the waistcoat and grabbed out a pocket and he uh, a watch out of his pocket, and he says, oh dear, oh dear, I shall be too late. And then he goes off down the rabbit hole, and the whole scene unfolds in Alice and her adventures in Wonderland. There's another famous scene in that book with the Mad Hatter. It's a tea party with a mad hatter and we later learn this rabbit is called the march hare and the mad hatter and they start to have this seemingly nonsensical conversation over all manner of things but it returns to time and he starts to personify time as if him and time had a falling out and time doesn't work for him anymore as he's got this broken watch. We see time personified and a major theme throughout the book. The Greeks and Romans did similarly. They personified time in the form of the gods. Time was personified as the Greek god Kronos. The Romans had a different name for him, Saturn, Saturn. And we have a day, probably some of your favorite day of the week, named after Saturn, Saturday. Most of the days of our week, our time markers are named after Saturn pagan gods, Sunday, sun, Monday, moon, and then the rest of them are Germanic gods, which I personally don't know much about other than Thor and Thursday, thanks to Marvel Comics. But They're all named after pagan deities. So goes the calendar, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, Julius Caesar, August, Augustus, and on and on. Time markers. We live in these time markers. They're themes of everything we do. We exist in these things as a sign of our createdness. And that's what our text is talking about today our creatureliness. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, is a fascinating passage. It's a famous passage set within a famous book. Ecclesiastes is a very honest portrayal of the human experience. Scholars differ very widely on how its literary form is employed. But all of them agree this is a very practical book. It is a very valuable book. It is recorded for our encouragement so that we might have hope in this day to live for the glory of God. And in this passage, we see the preacher, or Solomon, he's exploring the many complexities of life that we all experience. He's describing what can seem to be the endless or pointless cycles of life. In the whole book of Ecclesiastes, he tells us that the secret of a satisfied life is to walk in wisdom and fear of the Lord. The only key to make all the seemingly pointless repetitions of life being any sort of satisfaction is to live it in the fear of the Lord and to walk in wisdom. That's the sum of the whole book of Ecclesiastes. I encourage you to read it in the new year. I actually encourage you to read all of your Bible in the new year. Every year is such a good practice. But Ecclesiastes, maybe you should make it the head as you consider your life and wisdom to its enjoyment. But in this passage, we hone in on this famous portion of poetry and Scripture. This is often read at funerals. Many of you, perhaps your first introduction to the Scriptures was in the form of a song by the birds. For everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season. Turn, turn, turn. song made popular in the 60s before i was born so i didn't listen to it per se growing up but many of you have and and it is a catchy song and i've heard it many times and and this is scripture that is embedded in the culture it's also a testimony to the enduring effect of poetry and art and its power to stay with us for many years But here in this passage, Ecclesiastes 3, this famous portion, we find a set of 14 couplets, 14 couplets, and he uses a literary device that's actually very common to help us understand what he's getting at. It's called a merism, a merism, m-e-r-i-s-m, merism. Now you say, what is a merism? A merism uses a part of a whole, Two contrasting parts of a whole to represent the entire thing. So, for instance, if I were to say, uh, you know, tell my children, uh, go look everywhere. Go find this thing that you lost. Look everywhere. They might come to me and say, Dad, I searched high and low. I couldn't find it. I searched high and low. Two contrasting points to represent the whole a cell phone company, perhaps, if you say, uh, what is your coverage? What area do you coverage? They might say, we cover from coast to coast. You get it from east to west, everything in between. Two opposites like bookends to represent the whole. This is popular in Scripture, too. We see Jesus in Revelation 21. He says, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. What's he saying? Is he saying, I'm just the beginning, I'm just the end, I'm not the middle? No, he's saying, I'm everything, I'm A to Z, I'm the beginning, I consume, I fill, I am everything supreme. Jeremiah, the prophet, God spoke to Israel, describing the new covenant, and he says, they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, Amerism. And here we have this merism. There are 14 couplets or two sets of seven. Ooh, two sets of seven. You remember in Scripture, seven is a term for what? Or it connotes completeness, wholeness. This is a complete. We have 14, seven doubled, 14 a total accounting of all of life's experiences, all under the sovereign rule of, of God. And so, I want I want to read just verses 1 through 8 again with you, and I want you to really just consider your life as you read it under the sovereign rule of God. Where are you for everything there is a season. What season are you in? I want you to consider this in the passage of time. Verse 1, for everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. You think of the words of Jesus, weep, with those who are weeping. A time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. If there is a time to refrain from embracing, KBC, I believe that time is now, but I look forward to the time to embrace when we can just give each other a hug and say, I miss you, and we're going to do the big circle of aloha once social distancing is, is over, and we're allowed to Have social contact. We're going to bring that practice back. And we're going to, for those who have been here a long time, the Circle of Aloha, we used to circle up here and hold hands and sing a hymn. And it was wonderful. And we're going to bring that back when all the social distancing is done just to get our full share. And everybody's going to sit in like the first five pews. (laughs) They're just going to be shoulder to shoulder, packed out. Amen. A time to embrace. A time to refrain from embracing. That is our time. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And just reading that, I just find encouragement for my soul daily. Do you not need to grow in wisdom and knowing when there is a time to speak and a time to be quiet? I do. But we all experience this passing of time. We see these merisms encompassing all of life. And here, the preacher will surmise that the key to enjoying life, the key to enjoying these times is the wise preparation for and response to each and every season. That's the key, is the wise preparation for and a proper response to each and every season. Now, this passage teaches us a lot of things that elude our time this morning. But it teaches us a few things about time. One, it is cyclical, and it's also a one-way street. Time flows in cycles, seasons, we, we, we get this. But it's also a one-race street, you can't turn the clock backwards. Time is a mighty, rushing river, and it will empty into the sea of eternity. And the closer you get, it's as if you are rushing towards the cliff of a waterfall. It just speeds up before it empties out. And so many have observed that when you are young in life, the younger you are, children, they're going to feel like this sermon lasts Forever. On sabbatical, I would ask my children, which church do you want to go back to? Inevitably, they wanted to go to the ones with the shortest sermons. (laughs) Perhaps some adults are like that too. (laughs) Time seems to drag on as a child. Things take forever. Grade school, high school, things start to pick up a little bit. You start to get that sense of time like, ooh, I feel like I just started high school just yesterday, and now I'm graduating And then things really start to take off pace as you hit adulthood and you have children. And then as I'm told by my senior brother, sister, Ohana, those are more advanced in years than myself, they say it just flies as you get older and older. It just goes. You can't turn it backwards. You can't stop it. Sometimes you want to, but you can't. It's a one-way street. And our existence in time reminds us that we are Creatures, there is only one being who is timeless. Who is that? The Lord. The Lord. Thank you, young voice. <laughs> the Lord, God, is the only being who is timeless. He exists outside of time, He is eternal. We often think of eternity as endless time, but that is actually not eternity. It is not endless time. Eternity is a place where time has no relevance whatsoever at all we can't even conceive of an existence like this because everything about us reminds us that we are creatures but god is eternal this is how he revealed himself to moses in the burning bush you remember moses said who shall i say sent me what is the name of this god and god says tell him i am i am I am that I am. I am sent you. I have always been. I will always be. I am. God is eternal. The psalmists often declare from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is timeless. But we, on the other hand, we are creatures. And our Living under the umbrella of time and unable to escape it reminds us every day. The Bible begins with time markers for us in the beginning. We have time markers all around us in the scriptures. It reminds us that we are creatures. And in the beginning, Adam and Eve existed with time. But their relation to it changed fundamentally and ours in Genesis chapter 3. When sin entered the world, you see, Adam and Eve existed in time, but time was their friend. But as a result of sin and the curse of death, now things have changed fundamentally. Time is no longer our friend, it is our enemy. It works against us. And in Christ, in the new creation, he resets things such that we will be forever with the Lord. But in the here and now, the consequences of sin in this world is that time often works against us. And so for everything, there is a season. These seasons change, and eventually all of us, if the Lord tarries, have an expiration date. But time will march on. Time will march on. And that was the first point. Time marches. Number two, we see time's mask. Verses 9 through 13. Time's mask. Now, I want to read one phrase here, and you'll see what I'm getting at here. Verse 11 is where it comes. Verse 11. This is a famous passage of Scripture as well. You've heard it, and I'm going to put a new spin on it for you this morning. Verse 11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. You will often hear this passage mentioned in one of two ways. One, God will make everything beautiful in its time, which means whatever hardship is happening now in our lives or that we endure at some point in our lives, God will make it beautiful. He will make all things right. That is a precious truth from scripture. That is true no matter what, no matter what. That's repeated many times in scriptures, but I'm not sure that that's what's the message here for us. In this section, the second way you'll hear this section preached is God has put eternity into man's heart. That is, you'll hear this generally in missions conferences. Man, we go out there and we find that there are people without the Lord and God put eternity in their heart. They're longing, they're searching for God. And I will also say... That may be uh, true in some ways as well, but that is also not the point of this passage either. So I'm going to take both of those common understandings and kind of flip them on their head as we see time's mask. As creatures under time, existing in time, God wants us to be concerned primarily with our present circumstance. This is getting at what this passage is all about. God wants us to be concerned primarily with our present circumstances, and responding in a way that pleases Him in any and every season of life. He doesn't want us peering into the future, trying to pry and peek into the future through through necromancing, sorcery, tarot cards, all this other kind of stuff that people spend lots of money trying to do. He doesn't want us peering into the future, prying in the future. He also doesn't want us living in the brokenness of the past. You hear me? He doesn't want us living back here in the mistakes we made either. We gotta be like Paul, forgetting what lies behind. I press on. So he doesn't want us going, concerning ourselves with the future, living in the past, or trying to understand what is ultimately inaccessible to us. Here's what, he wants to, here's what this passage is getting at. God has masked his purposes in time in darkness. He has masked his purpose in time, in darkness, and we cannot access that. You say, well, okay. Sounds good. Where do I get that from the text? Because that's what matters. Here's where I get this from the text. It comes from a different Rendering of the Hebrew word eternity. He has put eternity into man's heart. Now, why would I get this? Because you have to remember, Hebrew is written in consonants with no vowels. So if I wanted to write the name King David, for instance, David in Hebrew, I would write DVD, and there would be no A and no I. There would be breath markers to indicate to the reader how I'm supposed to pronounce this, but that could change. And with texts that are this old, sometimes we don't have the breath markers as clearly as we would like them to be. And as such, eternity and darkness are very close in Hebrew, very close. And so there are several scholars, many of them, who would actually propose a different rendering for this passage. Let me read a, what I would find to be more contextually appropriate. I'm going to read this with a different rendering. You can keep this one up so that you can see the difference. God has made everything, so not beautiful, appropriate in its time. God has made everything appropriate in its time. He has placed, here it is, not eternity, darkness in the human heart, so that people cannot discover all God has done. He has placed darkness, not darkness in the sense of moral sin. He's not saying that, in the darkness in the sense of knowledge, veiled knowledge. He has placed darkness in the human heart so that people cannot discover all that God has done. Now let me give you two reasons why this may be a better rendering. Contextually, we think of the whole book. Ecclesiastes is not concerned with life after death. You don't find uh, musings on eternity in Ecclesiastes. What do you find repeatedly? You find him concerned with life under the sun, under heaven, under the sun, this life, this material life. He's often talking about these things. That's number one. Number two is the immediate context. Verse one, for everything, there's a season. For everything, there's a season. And so there is this idea of God has made everything appropriate in its time, in its place, under his rule. All of these things are appropriate. Now, why is this important? Because this is going to give us a very different application of these verses. The other application, as I said, is not wrong. It's true in the Bible and other places. But when we read this with this rendering, it refocuses our minds. And you say, how? How does it focus our minds. Here's what it does. It reorients you whenever you ask all these questions that we do. God, why did you allow this? Why did this happen? Why was it the time for X to occur? I know that there's a time to be born and a time to die, but why did that strike me? You see, we ask these questions. Why did coronavirus hit now? Why did your family member have to pass like that? I have three children, but we have six total. Why? Why did we lose three to miscarriage? These painful questions that we know God is sovereign. We know he's in control. But it doesn't answer the particular of to why, God. What are you up to in your purpose in my life? Because it hurts. We want to peer into the eternal mind of God, don't we? We want to know His purpose. Why? And this answer turns our heads. It says God has shrouded his particular purposes and darkness to us. But why would he do that? The answer from the text is because God wants us to focus on enjoyment of our God-given tasks. He wants us to put our mental energy not on the why or the how or the what could have been, but what is in front of me for, for me to do. And to enjoy that with all of my heart. And so it is a grace. And so this rendering of this passage leads us to reverent trust in the sovereign rule and care of our Father. Beloved, it is such a mercy, think about it, that you don't know the future. It is such a mercy and a grace from God that He does not tell you the future. I do not tell my children if they have a doctor's appointment where they're going to get shots. (laughs) I don't tell them until we go in. (laughs) What are we doing today? Where are we going? We're going to the doctor. And then they know. Their whole morning would be ruined if they knew they were going to experience what amounts to 30 seconds of pain. God in his mercy doesn't tell us the future of what our lives have in store for us. We would be terrified, petrified, distracted We'll return to that in our application time, but there is much anxiety and fear that we live in as we conjure in our minds what the future may hold. There's also a humility from this passage worth noting. Just because we know God is sovereign, it does not answer our deepest questions. Just knowing that, I know God's in control. I know he's sovereign. At the same time, I have to be still before God. And say, I know you are good. I know you are loving. I know you care. You sent your son to die. I know you are for me. But I don't know why this is happening like this. There's humility for us. And we should be careful when we venture into that. Well, maybe God's trying to do this through your suffering. should be really careful. Just stick to the scriptures. Stick to the script. God is good. Let me pray for you and just love on you. I don't know what he's doing. I just know you can trust him. There's humility in this. But for here and now, many of his works are shrouded in darkness. And his point is he wants us to focus on the task at hand before you today and enjoy that. So Times Mass number three, Times Maker, Times Maker, verses one and fourteen to fifteen. Time, all these things happen under heaven. Under heaven. God is not under heaven. God created the heavens. He dwells in glorious, unapproachable light. He is the creator exists outside of time. He made time. He governs time. The singular testimony of scripture is that God in his sovereignty rules over the flow of human history. And we're going to return to that in the book of Daniel in the new year. Whew, I'm excited about that. But we will see again and again, God rules over the flow of human history. And it leads the preacher here in verses 14 and 15 to say, whatever God does endures forever. There's a contrast for you. For everything, there's a season, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to heal, a time to kill. All these types of things happen, a time for war, a time for peace. Men will ultimately pass, but whatever God does endures forever. Endures forever god is clearly outside of over and above all of these things as a creator three lines of testimony from scripture to show that god is sovereign over time number one he created it in genesis chapter one he created it Have you ever wondered what time is time is motion have you ever wondered how they know what time it is on your watch there's a, there's a singular clock that governs all of our time, the authoritative clock, and, and how do they get that clock? Well, that actually comes down to the, the jiggling of an atom, we could say. It's an atom vibrating. It's motion. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Motion. He created time. That's one strand of testimony. He's the creator of time. Number two, he controls it. Joshua 10, 12 to 13. You can read it. Fascinating account. Uh, also, it happens in Isaiah's day where the God stopped the flow of the day. He actually stopped the sun in its tracks, Joshua 10, 12 and 13. And he says a day has not existed like that ever since until Jesus came. And on the cross, we see the sun went dark in the middle of the day for three hours at the death of the Son of God. He controls time. He is sovereign over time. He created time. In Acts 17, verse 30 and 31 tells us, a day is fixed when God will end all time. When he comes and he judges the living and the dead and we appear before him in that day, time will cease to be as we know it. And the only monuments that will exist in that day will be those that testify to the power and glory of God forever and ever. Because what God does, endures forever. He is time's maker. So, let's spend the rest of our time applying some of these things. The scriptures have a whole lot to say about time like just tons. It's better as a series, but you're going to get a little dose of it here. Number one, rest in God's fatherly care for your future. Rest in God's fatherly care for your future. Industries exist because people live in fear. Pharmaceuticals make big bucks because people are controlled by some form of fear of their future. Anxiety disorders affect many, many, many. Now, I'm not here to say these things will cure all of that and make it go away or any physiological effects of these things. But I am here to say a healthy dose of this will very much help Rest in God's fatherly care for, their future, for your future. We're about to flip times. 2021's coming. Many have great hope that, oh, 2020 sucked. <laughs> Maybe 2021 will be better, and, and there's a vaccine on the way, and lots of hope over things might return to normal. Beloved, that cannot be our great hope. There is no guarantee that 2021 will be any better And maybe it will be better in some ways and worse in others. Jesus told us, like birth pains, contractions, things will get worse and worse as we get closer to the end. So our great hope is not in a vaccine. Uh, A member, one of our KBC Ohana, got us a Christmas gift. And they get points for double meaning. And I'm not sure if this was meant there or if it was just decorative, but it was hand soap. Hand soap and emblazoned on the outside sticker of the hand soap it said trust in the lord i looked at that and i thought that is that is just wonderful biblical counsel (laughs) here we have hand soap beckoning me to wash my hands and use wisdom to fight off disease and infection and yet my ultimate trust is who not in the hand soap but in the lord fascinating they get points for that double meaning captures biblical wisdom very well we use means yet rely on the lord but 2021 cannot be our great hope rest in god's faithfulness of his tenderly care for your future as we saw god's works his particular works are shrouded in darkness but what he has clearly revealed, what he has clearly told us, is that he desires that you would be conformed to the image of Christ, and that you would trust in him until you see him face to face. That's his clear desire, your conformity to the image of Christ, your pursuit of holiness, and your daily trusting in his care. So let that be your rest as you go through your days and if you find yourself awake at night anybody ever been there you're just awake all night because this thing is going 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 as you're trying to solve a problem or or maybe you had some sort of uh, tense argument with somebody or, or or just something's there and it's just going you're trying to sleep and you toss you turn <laughs> okay be quiet mind and it just skips it and goes if you find yourself in that position, what do you do? How do I trust God in that moment? Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Sounds simple, not simple. I get it. Very hard. Pray. You say in the middle of the night? Yes, in the middle of the night. Like in my bed or out of my bed? I don't care. Just pray pray. If it helps you to do it out of your bed, do it out of your bed. If you can't get a grasp on it in your bed, get out of your bed. Pray to God. Follow the psalmist, Psalm 119. It's a night watch. Pray through the night. Now you may think, pastor, my anxiety gets the best of me at night times. I have prayed and it doesn't work. So then what? Endless help. Don't pray alone. Call for help. You say, no, I'm not gonna call and bother anybody. Beloved, if you had a friend who was getting mastered by an enemy, somebody broke into their house and, and they called you for help, and maybe you're right next door and they called the police too, right? Right? Uh, help me. Would you not drop everything to go? Would you not answer that call if they need help? Now, I know if it's Pastor Randy, you might hit ignore. Middle of that, no, I'm kidding. Enlist others to help you pray. As an officer, whenever your beat partners would go in on a hot call, a dangerous call, one of the things you hated to hear was send backup." And you just know your partners and their voices crack, and, but as soon as you hear that, you just step on the gas and you jam. You, you go until you get there because you love your partners. Beloved, we are the family of God. And if you are winning or, sorry, losing a battle to anxiety at nighttime, call one of your small group members. Call one of your friends in the faith and say, "Will you just, or maybe even a text. Hey, call, call the night owls. There's some night owls in here. I know some of you up till 11, 12, 1, 2 in the morning. Call those people. Make them your friends. Hey, can I just text you? And just, just knowing that you're praying for me can go such a long way in your battle to trust in the Lord. And then sometimes the fact that you can't turn your brain off, consider this, you say, I, I just can't, it just keeps going. The fact that you feel like you can't might just be the very purpose of God meant to drive you to the only one who can give you peace for your soul. It might be his prongs to draw you to himself. And so go, go, Go to him. So that's number one, rest. Rest in the Lord and His faithful care for your future. Number two, wait for God's timing. Oh, we are repeatedly beckoned in the Scriptures, invited. Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen: wait for the Lord. Be strong, don't give up. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Or Isaiah forty, thirty-one: they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Oh, beloved, wait for the Lord. That's your next application of timing. As you think of all these things in verses 1 through 8, so many of them are outside of our control, aren't they? So many of them, have, we have zero control over them. So what do you do? Think of the things in your life that you desire. How many of them do you have control over? If you, if you label those things over which you have zero control, Here's your counsel, wait for the Lord's timing. Don't seek to force something to happen outside of his timing. Often the result is the same as if you pick fruit before it's ripened or after it's rotten. One will make your stomach hurt, the other can make you sick and kill you. Wait, wait for the Lord's timing. You say it's hard to wait for the Lord. Yes, it is hard to wait for the Lord. But those who wait will find their strength renewed. So wait for God's timing with maybe this is a job. I just want to I need a job. That's a good thing. I want a better job. That's a good thing. Wait for the Lord. Maybe it's your relationships. You desire a relationship. Wait for the Lord. Maybe it's your spouse. Oh, spouses, you cannot change your spouse. You cannot change your spouse. You will beat your head against the wall trying to change your spouse, and you'll be very frustrated, but God can. Pray for them, love them, and wait for the Lord. You can't change your children. You got to let them go and wait for the Lord. Trust in his purposes for them your ministry, your health, on and on we can go. God has a purpose. Wait on the Lord. Number three, as you go throughout your daily tasks, focus on your God-given tasks aiming for faithfulness. Focus on your God-given tasks in front of you, not 20 years down the road, but right in front of me, God, what have you given me to do today? Wake up and attack your day. God, what do you have in store for me today? And be faithful. Aim for faithfulness in those tasks. You say, well, how do I aim for faithfulness? Set your eyes on Jesus. Jesus always knew when to speak, didn't he? He always knew when to be silent He always knew when to engage publicly. He always knew when to withdraw and skip an engagement. Jesus exercised perfect wisdom at all times. He knew when to speak a corrective word, go and sin no more. And he knew when to speak a word of encouragement. Peter, come on, man. Come out of the boat. Follow me. Come. Learn from Jesus. Study him. Learn his mind. Walk in his spirit. And you will find ample material to help you walk faithfully in every sphere of your life. And then number four, number four, beware of the lies we believe about time. There's a few lies we believe about time. Beware of the the lies that we believe. Here's one lie. Here's the first lie you believe about time. I have more of it. That's lie number one. I have more time that's a lie. You might have more time. You may have more time. Very tragically, a week and a half ago, I don't know the family. My heart broke as I saw the news. Kahalui, Derry Road, a 28-year-old haiku man died on a motorcycle accident. A truck, I don't know if the truck pulled out in front of him. I don't know. They collided and the truck won. He died, 28 years old. Man, (laughs) I read that, and I just thought, I immediately thought of the people I know that ride motorcycles, whom I love. The scriptures tell us your life is a vapor, and you do not know when it will end. Your soul could be required of you tonight, whether you're five years old or 50 years old. Oh, beloved, hear the words of Jonathan Edwards. Be ready at any moment to do business with God Almighty. It's one lie we believe that we have more time. Second lie we believe, I don't have enough of it. I don't have enough time. I need more time. This generally gets to a stewardship issue. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. I encourage you, grow to steward your time better Sometimes we take on duties that are not our obligations. Sometimes we expect uh, expect of others duties that are not their obligations. And as such, we can take on more than what God has called us to. This may be a stewardship issue. Or, maybe you work hard, you labor hard, but the Proverbs speak of what is uh, following a worthless pursuit. Those who follow worthless pursuits will come to ruin, the Proverbs say. So it might not be that you don't work hard. Maybe you do work hard. You're just working hard at the wrong things. And you'll find yourself stressed out, maxed out, and burnt out. We don't have enough of it. It's a stewardship issue. And you can always praise God. The only one who gets their to-do list done every day without fail is God. Third lie we believe, I'll serve God later. I'll serve God later in life. Young people may say, uh, as they're in high school or, or college, man, I'll serve God later. There's things I kind of want to do now, uh, I'll serve him later. Or in adulthood, you, you've got children, things are moving, you're just busy, busy, busy. You know, man, I'll serve God later in life. Or retirement, you thought, I'll serve God later, and you find, oh, I'm busy in retirement. I'll serve God later. And later never comes. Beloved, make a practicing of stewarding your time with God at the center in all seasons of life. Hear God when he invites you to serve him, when he invites you to empty yourself with all of your might to serve. God's inviting you to joy. Joy to the embracing of joy and the fullness of it. If covid taught us anything, it's that most companies view you as expendable. Most companies will cut you the moment their profit margins are endangered. Beloved, you are not expendable in the kingdom of God. You are a child Invest your life in the things that matter for eternity. Build up treasure in heaven where the Lord is that is incorruptible, and you'll find satisfaction now and for eternity. Fourth lie we believe. I'll repent before judgment day. I'll repent before judgment day. Most of us wouldn't say something like this blatantly in our mind. It's more of an undercurrent of action. I'll turn from my sins before Jesus returns. So many people think that it's as if they're going to see Jesus coming on the cloud and and all of a sudden be able to to get their life right. But beloved, the scriptures teach us, Christ tells us that his coming will be like a thief in the night. Nobody's going to see it coming. You're not going to expect it. Only the Father knows, but it will come. And on that day, we will give an account, Ecclesiastes 12, 14. This is how Solomon starts to wrap up his message. Hear what he says. God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Every deed. The secret things you harbor in your mind, the things that are outside, everything, good, bad, all of the above, it's all going to be brought into judgment, and you will not know that day. It will come, and it will hit you unexpectedly. And so what is the proper response? What is the wise response to these things? I'll close with the words from Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah 55, 6 through 7. God, would you use this passage to instruct your people? Here's the proper response. Hear it carefully. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, and I love this, for he will abundantly pardon. I just love that. He will abundantly pardon. You say, I have many sins, Pastor. God will abundantly pardon them. Return to him. Seek him. Will you call on him today? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these 53 minutes, I pray that you would use them as they have passed and they are gone to bend our hearts to your will, to turn us to your ways. And may we seek you while you may be found. And thank you that we can only seek you because as we saw on Christmas, you sought us. You came, you entered our darkness. You became a baby in the person of Jesus so that we may seek you. And so, Father, may we live in 2021 with all of our hearts for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs)